Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, I'm flying solo and is taking a break this week, and I'm talking about Solo. The new Star Wars movie opens on May the 25th. That is Friday. I've got my tickets for a 6.30 showing. On Friday, I'm going to go see it with Anne, my brother-in-law Tom, my sister-in-law Tiffany. So we're all looking very forward to that. And as I get ready to watch the movie, I just wanted to talk about a few things that are involved with Solo, a Star Wars story, which is its official title, but I'm just going to call it Solo. A Star Wars story just feels a little bit tacked on and unnecessary. I kind of liked it earlier when they were going to call these the anthology films, and I thought it was going to be like a Star Wars anthology or, or something along those lines, but they dropped that idea in favor of Star Wars story. It's it's not a big deal. It, it's Nobody's going to lose their jobs over it. Nobody's going to not go see a movie because of these things. I just think it's a weird subtitle, and I'd like to see it gone, so hopefully they will get rid of that, and I, I do believe that is the plan for these standalone movies in the future. So if we do see a Kenobi movie, it shouldn't be called Kenobi, A Star Wars Story. And again, not the biggest deal in the world, just a little pet peeve for me. I'm going to cover a few different things in this episode, sort of my expectations, what I want to see, what I don't want to see, what kind of characters do I think maybe we might have an appearance from, how the movie is going to feel, the tone, the direction, that sort of thing. And I'll also discuss how... I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this movie for a long time, but as the marketing has ramped up, I have become much more excited about the movie. So first of all, let's look at some of my expectations for Solo, a Star Wars story. Henceforth, known as Solo, the first thing, and I think that is on everybody's mind, is Alden Ehrenreich. He's not Harrison Ford. He's not going to be Harrison Ford from 1977 and 1980 and 1983 or even 2015. This is a young kid. He's playing Solo way before he was the Han Solo that we know from the movies. He will still share traits with that character and he'll have components to that character, but he doesn't necessarily have to do a Harrison Ford impression. And if he does... I'll be very disappointed. I had a lot of concerns about him, primarily because the first couple of trailer or teasers that we saw didn't feature a whole lot of Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. That made you wonder if that was because the footage they had access to was from the earlier parts of the movie that hadn't been filmed by Ryan Howard, or if they were just trying to hide him, trying to give you the feel of the Star Wars movie that stars Han Solo without showing you Han Solo because it knew that audiences wouldn't accept anybody other than Harrison Ford in the role. And it really did feel like that. Now, Disney and Marvel and Lucasfilm is kind of a machine from a marketing standpoint. And they had Infinity War, which is one of the highest grossing movies of all time and is still having a nice theatrical run, they had Infinity War to get out of the way before they started promoting Solo. And to me, it really felt like that marketing campaign kicked in late. And, and I understand part of it's because Disney didn't want to overshadow Infinity War with stuff about Solo. But still, you know, we're, we're used to when we're having a Star Wars film, whether it's Rogue One, whether it's The Last Jedi or The Force Awakens, we're used to seeing a big media push. And, and Solo has had that, especially in the last couple of weeks now that Infinity War has cleared its bar. For a long time, it was kind of like, you know, it's February, it's March, we're getting into April, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out, and we're not really talking about 
that much. And so you started to wonder a little bit. Is this thing a dud? Does Disney, Lucasfilm not have any faith in it? Are they really reticent to show us what the movie is about and how it's going to feel? And, and thankfully, that has cleared up. They've released more promotional footage. They've talked about the film a lot more. And I, I think we have a better idea of how the movie's going to go, how it's going to feel, and how it fits into the greater picture in the Star Wars universe. Early, just a couple months ago, you're just like, what is going on with this thing? There, there are some factors. Obviously, Infinity Wars 1, another is the director switch. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But that might have upset any of their plans to promote this thing too early. Or at least have the finished footage that was ready to go. I mean, they didn't lock down the edit this thing until about a month ago. Because they, they had a late run-up to everything. Ron Howard was brought in to direct. And so th that played a big role into it. They didn't want to oversaturate. I think things are looking good. I wish that I could not read early reviews. Unfortunately, I... I can't help myself. I've read some reviews of the movie, or skimmed some reviews of the movie, and, and seen some of the YouTubers react to the movie, and, and it sounds like it's a mixed bag with a lot of positive and some things that people aren't necessarily going to like as much. This is all subjective. So, you know, you, you one guy says this is a great Star Wars movie, it's a big adventure. Another guy says it's choppy and slow and not exciting. You can't necessarily have a movie that is great adventure, but one that's also slow. It's all personal preference. I'll have to judge it for myself when I see it on Friday. I have been reassured by some of the early things that I've heard. To be honest, I wasn't really totally excited about this Han Solo movie, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan. If you've listened to the podcast, you absolutely know that. But I was a little reluctant to get too excited about it, to get my hopes up too high. Now, my brother-in-law, Tom, his hopes have been sky-high since the teaser trailer launched back around the time of the Super Bowl. And he has been relentless in his excitement about Solo. And that that's great, because it, it helps me to get a little bit... It gets a little contagious. You start to get the fever a little bit, and my brother, my goodness, he is he is pumped about this movie. So that helps, you know, when you talk to your brother, or you talk to your, your brother-in-law, and your, your wife, and they start to feel a little more anticipation for the movie, it, it helps you a little bit, if maybe you weren't looking all that forward to it. And so I've done a complete 180 around on Solo. So I, I think we're going to see a good performance from Alden Ehrenreich, from the clips that have been released in the past couple of weeks, I think, you know, trust your casting directors, people. They can they can do a good thing. I think he, he fits that mold really well. Now, he's not going to be Harrison Ford, but come on. Nobody's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's not even Harrison Ford anymore. He'd probably land a plane on me for saying that, but, you know, that that's kind of how it is. I love what I've seen. He's got a nice mixture of cockiness and just a little bit of sincerity in there as well. A lot of that cockiness is feigned because, you know, he's not his fully developed Han Solo smuggler character yet. And he's got to learn the ropes of everything. But I, I like what, what I've seen from him. Now, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, they didn't even have to have him say a line in the teaser trailer. I was sold from that guy the moment they announced his casting. And it, it's weird because, I mean, I don't watch Atlanta. I've heard great things about it. My familiarity with Donald Glover actually comes from Community, where he played a goofball named Troy. Kind of a, a clueless dude. He was really great in that show. He's very funny. He's also got a side music career. That is pretty impressive, and his latest video has, has really caught fire, his latest music video. I did catch him host SNL a couple of weeks ago, and he was good. And they even did a 
little sketch in that one where it was where he played Lando and it was it was pretty funny. From just like the shots of Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian in the promotional material and just the shots that we saw in the trailer, he didn't have to say a word and I'm like, boom, we've got Lando over here. I didn't feel that way with Alden Ehrenreich. I, I needed to see some footage of him and you know Han Solo and Lando Calrissian are both huge characters in the Star Wars universe but Han is numero uno for a lot of people you've got a lot to live up to if you're going to play either one of those guys but especially Han not that the bar's lower for Lando but let's face it he's only in two out of the three original Star Wars movies he only appears in the last part of The Empire Strikes Back, where he stabs Han Solo and company in the back. And then he's in Return of the Jedi, where he redeems himself, helps rescue Han, somehow avoids getting eaten by the Sarlacc, and then helps blow up the second Death Star, and then dances with the Ewoks at the end, as any good rebel pilot should. But I, I think Lando's uh, an easier-to-define character than maybe Han, because Han goes through a big emotional arc through the course of those three movies, and changes, and his priorities change. And this guy who doesn't really have much of a family or an identity finds one. Whereas, whereas Lando's just, you know, roguish guy, smiles, he'll charm you. It's not that Lando's easier to play than Han, I just think he comes with a lot less baggage. Because his role is a lot smaller in the movies. So you can bring in a guy, give him some stylish clothes, make sure he projects an aura of cool, and you're good to go with Lando. And definitely Donald Glover ticks off all the boxes on that. And the more we've seen from him now, now that he's actually gotten to speak some in the movie trailers and in the spots that have been on TV, you know, you boom. He's nailed it. He's going to be an absolutely great Lando Calrissian. Maybe he'll be so good that they're going to want to spin him off into his own movie. Who knows? So th those are the two primary things that I'm really looking forward to in this movie, is, is how Alden Ehrenreich is able to play Han Solo, and what we get from Donald Glover as Lando. You've got Chewie in there, he's played by this seven-foot-tall guy, who used to actually play basketball at Penn State University back in, like, 2010. I had no idea, I was just kind of looking up some stuff about him, not even going to try to pronounce his name, because it's a lot harder to say than Peter Mayhew. And when I, I googled him, when I looked him up, there was a picture of him... Uh, at Penn State guarding Greg Oden. It was just like, oh, I had I had no idea. This guy has taken up the mantle of Chewbacca for Peter Mayhew. He is now the official Star Wars Chewbacca the Wookiee, and I really want to see how the chemistry is between him and Han Solo, between the two characters, between the two actors. Again, from what we've seen in the spots, they're going to be great. And if, if Chewie and Han have great chemistry. I think even if the movie ends up being a slog, I think it'll still be enjoyable because you love those characters so much that you'll enjoy spending time with them. So we'll just have to see. Will we see any cameos? It seems odd to me that we would see Jabba the Hutt this early in Han Solo's career. He's not Han Solo yet. I don't know if he's going to smuggle much of anything. The, the story, of course, in Star Wars, Han got confronted by a convoy of Imperial ships, and he dumped a load of spice that was worth a lot of money, and it really ticked off Jabba. And even though Jabba likes Han a lot, he put a price on his head because he doesn't want his smugglers to just drop their load of spice at the first sign of an Imperial cruiser. And, and I, I got the impression 
in Star Wars, and you know they can recanonize everything, and, and maybe they even have in the comic books. Who knows? I've only read some of the comics, and I, I've read a good deal of the novels, but not all the novels, and just a very small portion of the comic books. So they may have recanonized some of this stuff, but I, I don't think so. But the impression I got from Star Wars was that the price on Han's head was relatively new. And so if, if that's the case, I don't think Jabba's been looking for him for the 7, 8, 10 years or whatever it is that Solo takes place before New Hope. But, but I, I could be wrong about that. I, I would say that bounty is, again, relatively new. I mean, he mentioned it in Empire Strikes Back, which takes place a little bit after the Battle of Yavin, and he still feels that he can go pay off Jabba the Hutt and square their debt and everything will be okay. And then, of course, things aren't okay because, well, the Empire Strikes Back. But I, I wouldn't expect him to run too afoul a jab in this movie, given that it takes place several years before Star Wars. But again, you know, who knows? I, I don't know if we'll see Boba Fett or not. I, I think some fans are sort of hoping that'll be the case, but he's the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter, you know, until this happens. Seeing as how Han in this movie is just starting out, I don't think putting Boba Fett on his trail makes too much sense. Now, maybe they tease the character a little bit. Maybe he spills a drink on Boba Fett's lap at a cantina somewhere or kisses his girlfriend or something like that. But I hope, I hope not. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe we do see Slave One or some sort of association between the two characters. In, in the movies, it's not really presented as such because you don't spend a whole lot of time with Boba Fett, yeah, he's he's a badass, and he's a great bounty hunter, and he's going to get his guy. But you don't really get a sense of rivalry between him and Solo. That sort of backstory doesn't start filtering in until some of the old expanded universe stuff, which is now Legends, of course, after Disney reorganized the Lucasfilm canon. But, but in the comics and the old novels, those two characters really did not like each other. They hated each other. Okay, well, j j let's just say it. They hated each other. They, they were arch enemies in the comics and in the novels. And I, I think that concept will still hold. I just don't know if Solo's the movie to tell that. I'll also be interested to see how many Imperial entanglements Han encounters in this movie. Obviously, this is a time span that we've really not spent a whole lot of time in, especially in the movie universe, between the Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars, 10 years or so before Star Wars, or however long that is. This is the Empire at the height of its power. They control the galaxy with an iron fist. There is very little resistance against them and so they're they're calling the shots on everything they're super powerful and from what we've seen from the trailers at some point we see han in an imperial army uniform so he's a shock trooper of some sort we've definitely seen imperial star destroyers we saw a shipyard i think on han's home planet of corellia looks like i don't know for sure looks like they're building capital ships there and so that means like stormtroopers are everywhere there's all kinds of variations of them and, you know, you can't sneeze in space without coming across a TIE fighter or a Star Destroyer. I think the Empire is going to play a big role in this movie. I don't think they're going to be the main big bad. Although it's very possible, because the movie has been described as a mashup between a western and a heist film, that it's very possible that whatever Han and company get contracted to steal comes from the Empire, and the Empire 
isn't happy about that and comes after them, but I don't think they're going to be the primary antagonist for the movie, like they were in, say, Rogue One. Not that they're not going to have a role, I just don't think they're going to be the main bad guys. I think we're going to have a lot of uh, gangsters and space criminals and gangs that are going to be involved in this thing. It looks to me like there's some sort of train heist, obviously, and it looks to me like Han and his crew end up going up against a rival crew trying to steal whatever that is. So there will definitely be some Imperial entanglements. But what about the feel of the movie? Will it feel choppy? Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, you've probably heard me talk about this, but it's, it's worth revisiting just briefly again. They, they brought in a couple guys, Lord and Miller, who were best known for the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street. They're comedy guys. They brought them in to direct this movie based on a script by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and The Force Awakens, and his son John Kasdan. Somewhere along the line, despite the fact that you know that Disney's Kathleen Kennedy, Disney Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy, and Lord Miller had to have met sometime and put together sort of a singular vision of what this movie was supposed to be, when they got looking back at the footage that these guys were sending back, it was not what they wanted. Kasdan was reportedly very upset, Lawrence Kasdan, by the dailies that were coming back, and they didn't like the tone. Some of the actors said they were just doing way too many takes, you know, trying to tweak each little line and gesture, and, and it was just way too difficult for them to, to get this movie together. That plays into the improv style that Lord and Miller are known for. Apparently, the heads at Disney Lucasfilm were not happy because, you know, they split over creative differences, which means they got fired because Disney Lucasfilm was not happy with the direction of the project. They were apparently some 75-80% done with principal photography at the time they were fired. Now, these big movies anymore always have reshoots. It's not uncommon for, you know, something like Justice League or Star Wars or a Marvel movie to have pickup shots later. A lot of times, they're scheduled in advance. They know that they're going to get the movie together, they're going to go to the editing room, and they're going to say, hmm, boy, it would be nice if we had this shot or that shot or this conversation or we could have foreshadowed this better or paid this off better. And then they go during these scheduled reshoots and pick up those shots and add those into the movie. But in other cases, such as Rogue One and Justice League and here in Solo, they're not just getting pickup shots or reshooting a couple of scenes. They're reshooting large chunks of the movie. If you've seen Justice League, and again, I don't think it is the travesty that a lot of people say it is. It's not great, for sure. It's got some redeeming qualities to it. But you can definitely tell that that is a movie that is of two minds, that you have Zack Snyder's vision and you've got Josh Whedon's vision, and they're trying to get them to mesh, and they don't really. And you can definitely tell when some things are reshot, and when some things were part of the original footage. In Rogue One, apparently, they had no idea how they wanted to end that movie, or the ending that they had put together did not work. They brought in this other guy, Tony Goroy, who looked at what they had and said, boy, you guys are in a mess, you guys are in dire straits, here's how you need to fix this. And so he fixed it. So if you go back and you look at the original trailers for Rogue One and you see, you know, like Jyn Erso running on the beach, they shot it. It exists somewhere, but it's not in the movie because they, they changed the way the ending all played out. And Gilroy went on to say that one of the themes of the movie needed to be sacrifice and so that each character needed to have a moment where they rose to the occasion and went out with a bang. 
and each of those characters did. Now, whether or not you had an emotional tie to any of those characters, that is, you know, that's a subjective type of deal. But it was missing those stakes. So they reshot a great deal of Rogue One, but a lot of it was just there for the ending. And probably some insert shots and pickups to set up some characters. So there's probably some character work from earlier in the movie that's also part of the reshoots, but the, the primary reason for those was because of the ending and how much it needed to be redone. Solo's a completely different case. This is, oh, well, we just need to punch up the ending a little bit and maybe add a couple character moments. This was, according to various reports over the past couple of weeks, that Ron Howard, when he was brought in, that he reshot 70% of the movie. He reshot so much of the movie that he is credited as the director, while Lord and Miller are credited as executive producers. And that's a different story from Justice League, where we know that Joss Whedon rewrote a lot of the script and reshot a lot of it, but Zack Snyder still gets the director's credit, while Josh Whedon gets a screenplay credit for that movie. So even though he did a lot of work, and he was the one slamming it together at the end and trying to meet the deadlines from the studio... Zack Snyder still, from the Hollywood perspective, is the director of that movie, although the perception will probably tell you that it's a Joss Whedon film. Whereas in Solo, Ron Howard gets the sole directing credit, and Lord and Miller are not given a directing credit at all. Credits in Hollywood are a funny thing, so that kind of gives you an idea how much work Ron Howard did on the film, that he was responsible for doing pretty much all of the movie, or the largest percentage of the movie, and so he gets the directing credit. And, and I think because of that, you know, I, I talked about Justice League and how at times the, the tones pulled it apart between what Zack Snyder wanted to do and what Josh Whedon was brought in to kind of lighten the mood. I don't think we're going to feel that too much with Han Solo. I think since Ron Howard shot 70% of the footage, it's going to feel like a singular vision. I don't think it's going to feel choppy, even though, I mean, he had to throw it together. He didn't have a whole lot of time to, to get in the edit room and, and maybe get things exactly where he wanted it to. And it's going to feel like a Ron Howard movie. Depending upon who you are, it's a good or a bad thing. I'm always surprised anymore. I've always considered Ron Howard to be a really good, consummate, professional director, but a lot of people, from, from what I understand, people tend to think that Ron Howard's direction is pretty pedestrian even though he's an Oscar winner and he's brought us some really great films. They're just like, yeah, he's a professional. He'll put together a competent film. Just don't expect anything special about it. And, and I've never really agreed with that, but I, I think he's got a solid filmography. Cocoon and Gung Ho and Willow, Parenthood, Backdraft, Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Frost Nixon. A really underrated movie from him from the last couple of years is Rush which is about the Formula One rivalry between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. That's a really great movie. Really well shot, good characters. Chris Hemsworth is great in that movie, and so is Daniel Brühl, who you probably would know best from Marvel Civil War as Zemo. Or he was also in that recent TNT show, The Alienist, where he was uh, the main character in that show. I've always admired Ron Howard, though, and I I've liked a lot of his movies. More movies I've liked than I haven't liked. Of course, I mean, I, I went to see Apollo 13 when I was a kid and just thought that was fantastic. Apollo 13 was 1995, I think. I remember going to see that one for my, my birthday. It came out around my birthday, and that was what I wanted to do, so... We saw Paul 13. So as a fan of Ron Howard's work, I, I don't have any real worries about the content of the film or the way it's going to be put together. He's going to put together a professional product. And maybe that's part of people's problems is that it's a product that 
this movie is studio managed and they told Ron Howard, this is what we want. And Ron Howard says, okay, I'm, this is what you want. This is what I'm going to give you. The guy's likable. I, I, I've enjoyed a lot of his films. I think he's got a great eye and I, we'll find out. I mean, it's coming out on Friday, so we'll see if my confidence is rewarded or not. I mentioned a, a few cameos and I don't know how much of the rebellion we'll see in this movie because here it would have been in its infancy and some of the primary characters would have been really too young to have interacted with Han Solo at this particular age, so... We'll have to see, but there are some story elements that I think we'll encounter in this movie. Fairly early on, Han has to meet Chewie. The the classic story is that Han was a cadet in the Imperial Academy, and he saw the way the Empire was treating Wookiees, and he didn't like it, and he rescued Chewbacca, and Chewbacca pledged a life debt to him to be his protector for the rest of his life. I think we're going to see a version of that in this movie to sort of recanonize some of those elements. It'll probably play out a little bit differently. I definitely think that a young Han Solo does have a slight sense of idealism and cannot stand bullying and injustice when he sees it. And it's a part of himself that he tries to deny time and time again. That's the guy that we meet in Star Wars who's been hardened against that. In this movie, I don't think he's quite there yet. But I I do think the events of the movie will start that transformation into the rogue who has the devil-may-care attitude. It's the natural progression. Again, I've said it before, we don't need to see a redemption arc for Han Solo in this movie, because that's for episodes 4, 5, and 6. That's for Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi to complete. What you have then is we need to find out how he becomes Han Solo. And not literally, how did he get his name? How did he get his blaster? Why does he wear a vest? Why does he wear those pants? We don't necessarily need to know those things, but we do need to know the elements that hardened him. Because at some point in our lives, all of us are young and and idealistic, and we have hopes and we have dreams and we have things we want to accomplish. You know, we, we grow up and we find out the world's a lot different from what we thought it was. And it's a rude awakening. Sometimes it jades us forever. Sometimes it reinforces that we need to keep our idealism. In Han's case, I think it's I think it's the, the, the former. You know, maybe he has a hopeful outlook. He's going to be the greatest pilot or the greatest this or the greatest that ever. And he's going to do all these great things in life. And then he gets involved with the Empire somehow, and then he gets betrayed, all that gets thrown out the window. And he becomes the cynical guy who doesn't believe in, you know, loyalty to anybody except for maybe Chewie, doesn't believe in the Force, doesn't believe in a cause. All he wants is credits from Princess Leia to pay back Jabba the Hutt so he can continue on his adventures with Chewbacca. So we'll definitely see those two meet and and figure out why they form such a bond together. And that dovetails with the fact we'll probably see Han's early Imperial service. I think in the comics or in the books he was a cadet, and they told it a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. Here it looks like, at least in the trailers, unless it's part of one of their scams that they're running, it looks like Han is in an Imperial uniform, you know, like the field uniform with the armor and the helmet and such. What about the Kessel Run? I mean, it's the thing he brags about all the time. It's the one thing that he says his ship is famous for. Less than 12 parsecs in the books, they had an interesting take on that. They had a uh, series of, like, black holes or wormholes or whatever you want to call them. And so if you had to go to Kessel to pick up spice, you had to go through this very difficult-to-navigate section of the universe. 
and Han was able to cover the distance in 12 parsecs with a series of daring hyperspace maneuvers. The way Han says it in the movie, it sounds like a parsecs is, you know, that that's like a finish time. Like, you've done well, you, you finish faster than anybody else. When a parsec's really distance, but Star Wars has never been too concerned with the actual science of how anything works. So we'll just have to see if, if that plays a role in it. His character, who's going to betray him? You know, you've got Lando in there. You've got Kira, the the girl that's played by Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. You've got Woody Harrelson's character, who, you know, how big of a role he is he going to play? What kind of mentor character is he going to be? He basically tells Han in the, the trailer, people are always going to betray you, and if you can accept that, then you'll never be disappointed. And I hope it's not like ABC 2 plus 2 equals Woody Harrelson tells him not to trust anybody, and then, you know, Woody betrays him in the end. It could definitely happen, but that that would be some epic telegraphing of the plot if they did. And then we're, we're, we know we're going to see Sabak or Sabak, which was a card game that was very detailed in the original Expanded Universe canon as to how the rules went and everything. It's just a, a card game, basically the Star Wars Galaxy's version of poker, more or less, with some, you know, different twists and wrinkles to it but will we see the game where han wins the falcon from lando because remember in this movie the millennium falcon belongs to lando i mean donald glover i don't know if you saw the promotional clip but donald glover takes you on a tour of the falcon it's got a cape room it's totally lando's ship but we know that's not how it ends up i think it would be really weird for han to win the ship in the middle of the movie i'm thinking maybe latter part of the movie, maybe even like a stinger that he gets the best of Lando and wins the Falcon for himself. But again, we'll see here in a few days. Another thing that I'm really interested to know is what will the new solo theme sound like? John Williams did not score this film. Someone else did. But John Williams wrote the main Han Solo theme. So we're getting some new John Williams music and we can only hope that it doesn't sound like this. The pain is gone. I'm sorry, that was just so, so wrong. That is the terrible Han Solo song. I don't even know what the title is. It's from this Kinect game that they released a few years ago for the Xbox 360, and it has gone down in infamy as one of the worst Star Wars things ever, and I just had to share that with you. As for the movie's overall tone, I'm really getting a adventure movie, movie serial kind of vibe. Sort of an Indiana Jones western heist movie mashup. Interesting to see if if that's what we get. A, a big adventure. I I just want to see a rollicking adventure movie with a lot of humor and some great special effects and some fun character moments. And if I can walk out of the theater saying that I got those things, I'll be very satisfied. But again, even though I I have turned a lot around on Solo to being kind of like, well, okay, yeah, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out and. I like Star Wars, so I'm excited, and I'll go see it, to being genuinely excited. But there's still a few things that I'm concerned about. Not necessarily the tone, but will I accept Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo? It's one thing for me to sit here and say, well, you know, it's up to the audience to accept him 
as Han Solo, I've got to do it too. Can he just kind of work himself into this role and be Han Solo without trying to be Harrison Ford, without trying to do too much? Again, in some of the clips that I have seen, I think he shows a lot of promise. Just because I think he shows a lot of promise doesn't mean that's going to sustain for two hours of movie featuring this young Han Solo. Also, this is a mistake we get a lot. Studios have a successful character, and they decide audiences like that character, so we're going to do more about that character. And instead of moving the character forward, we move them back and do a prequel. Do we really need to know too much of Han Solo's background? I don't think we do. I think Han presents us in Star Wars with everything you need to know about that character. You know he's a smuggler. You know he doesn't really trust anybody. You know he's in it for the money. You know that he has a loyal co-pilot who he will do anything for. That's all you need to know. And buried under that cynicism is a guy who could care about a cause if you went about convincing him the right way. That's really all you need to know about Han Solo. And then to see that character change from the cynic to the guy who starts caring about people, starts caring about Luke and caring about Princess Leia, to a guy who really starts caring about the Rebellion and defeating the Empire. We see that evolution in that character in the movies, and they, they give us everything we need to know. Because sometimes you peel away the mystery of a character, it can have unintended negative consequences. Maybe the character's less relatable. Maybe once you get rid of that mystery, he's just not as interesting as he was before. And that would be the worst thing for one of these Star Wars movies to do, would be to take a beloved character, tell us everything about him, and then totally change the perception of that character that we have in the movies that we grew up loving. And it, it, it can happen. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Are you an angel? What? An angel. I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. They're the most beautiful creatures in the universe. I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. <laughs> I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. I don't know. Maybe Darth Vader? I always thought Darth Vader's backstory was intriguing, and we got most of what we needed, sort of, from Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought the rise of a young Anakin Skywalker and his turn to the dark side could be a compelling story. I still think it could be a compelling story. It's just the way it was presented to us was not a compelling story. Same thing, let's let's talk about Boba Fett for just a quick minute. Boba Fett's an awesome character because he has a cool look. He's a man of few words. In their prequel movies, we find out he's the son, the clone son, of a mercenary named Jango Fett, who has, like, very similar-looking armor and the same ship. And all the mystery of the Boba Fett character is runned. And I, I do think that character is lesser for that. There may be some people who disagree with me on that. It just doesn't really work for me. And then it's weird to think that this kid who's a clone, an unaltered, pure unaltered clone of Jango Fett, lives in a universe where all these clone troopers are running around who look exactly like his dad, which means then they look exactly like him. Or he'll look exactly like them in a few years. Such a weird decision to me. But that's that's what I talk about when you take a character that some people love and you peel away all the all of the layers of mystery to that character. Sometimes things don't work out like you hoped. And I, I'm hoping that's not the case here with Solo. And again, the way the Disney Lucasfilm team works and the story group and Ron Howard being in here, I don't think that's as big of a risk. 
but it's always in the back of your mind. Some of the things that the prequel movies did to some of our characters to sort of strip away their legacy a little bit. Not strip away, but tarnish their legacies a little bit. Don't really need to know about Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker's little boy. It really doesn't add much to his character arc or story other than, okay, yeah, he was a kid just like everybody else was a kid. And that that's a podcast for another time. What the prequels should have done a little bit differently. But I, I will say at the ground floor... The very first level, you didn't need to see Darth Vader as a little boy. That three-movie arc should have been about the young Jedi who was friends with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who had a falling out and turned to the dark side. That first movie and his age and the age difference between him and Padme, totally problematic for me. One of those big storytelling mistakes that can never be rectified. Let's just face it, it's it's canon, that's the way it is. The other risk or the, the other concern that I have with Solo will it be too referential. Rogue One had lots of great stuff. I mean, it looked great. Gritty, wonderful, back-to-basic Star Wars filmmaking as far as props and storytelling go. But we did have a few things that we didn't necessarily need. Like the throwing in reference with Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan on Jedha, and then R2 and 3PO on Yavin. These aren't, like, terrible, egregious things. Probably R2 and 3PO bothered a lot of people more than it really bothered me, because, you know, I'm like, hey, look, it's R2 and 3PO. But the movie would have been fine without them. And the Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan one really did feel just kind of thrown in there. Didn't really serve much of a purpose. And But I could have gone without that. I have gone from not being very excited about Solo... Just sort of as this, uh, it's a rote Star Wars movie coming out, you know, I gotta support the franchise, I like Star Wars, I'll go see it. To, oh my gosh, we're getting a Han Solo movie. I I can be excited and still have concerns, and I can also not be looking forward to something and still find something to like about it. But in this case, I am super pumped about Solo. I want to see what uh, they're they're going to give us, the story they've crafted, and I'm just a sucker for spaceships and adventure and blasters. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So in honor of Solo's release this week and the Kessel Run and its 12 parsecs, here are 12 of my favorite all-time Han Solo moments. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I always like that one because Obi-Wan just looks like him, like he's just so full of it. You kind of feel the same way, but you're like, well, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. I have you now. What? Ah, the smuggler with the heart of gold. Here you thought in this movie that Han was going to take his money, take his reward, never come back, never help anybody. And in Luke's most desperate hour, being tracked by Darth Vader himself, Han comes and saves the day. It is still a moment that'll make you cheer. Put a smile on your face. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controls my destiny. 
It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. Of course, Han and Obi-Wan have a fundamental disagreement about some things, and the Force and its existence and luck, definitely part of that conversation, but I just always like that. Han doesn't believe in this Force stuff, this predestination stuff. You go in the galaxy, you make your own luck. Uh, everything's under control, situation normal. What happened? Uh, I had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Boring uh, conversation anyway. Company. What a conversationalist, right? You can always rely on Han Solo to stay calm and cool under pressure. Well, your worship, looks like you managed to keep me around for a little while longer. I had nothing to do with it. General Rykin thinks it's dangerous for any ships to leave the system until we've activated the energy field. That's a good story. I think you just can't bear to let a gorgeous guy like me out of your sight. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. But you didn't see us alone in the South Passage. She expressed her true feelings for me. What? Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! Who's scruffy-looking? Man, Han and Leia have so many good interactions in Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but they are firing on all cylinders in Empire. Hey, listen to me. Chewie. Chewie, this won't help me. Hey, take your strength. There'll be another time. The princess, you have to take care of her. You hear me? I still think that is probably one of the most powerful lines in all of the original trilogy. Those two characters have been stripped down emotionally to the point where they didn't know if they were ever going to see each other again. They didn't know if Han was going to survive the carbon freezing chamber. And so they have that genuine moment with each other. And it's great. Very powerful stuff. Princess Leia is too stubborn to admit things like that, but she says it anyway. Han, in his own way... Tells her he feels the same way. And yeah, that, that I know comes off a little bit cocky, but if you read the subtext of that, it's pretty amazing stuff. Wait for me! Wait! Stop! How typical. Come on. Mm-hmm. Hurry up, Goldenrod! You're gonna be a permanent resident! Wait! Wait! I just always love the way he grumbled this line at 3PO as they're trying to get out of Echo Base. As much as Leia and Han antagonize each other in that movie, Han really gives it to C-3PO as well. You're not actually going into an asteroid field. They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? You don't have to do this to impress me. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Honestly, if you were to boil Han Solo down to one line, I think this would probably be it. This little exchange he has with C-3PO. Just because you don't think he can do something doesn't mean that he can't do it. Even if he gets blown out of the stars trying, he's going to give it a shot. No matter how bad the situation is, no matter what the odds are, just don't tell him. Because it won't matter. Han! Luke! Are you alright? Fine. 
together again, huh? Wouldn't miss it. How are we doing? Same as always. That bad, huh? Mm. I think my eyes are getting better. Instead of a big dark blur, I see a big light blur. Mm. There's nothing to see. I used to live here, you know. You're gonna die here, you know. Convenient. Just stick close to Chewie and Lanyard. I'll take care of everything. Oh, great. I paired these two exchanges together from Return of the Jedi because they're just too great. They've, they've made me laugh ever since I first saw the, the movie. How are we doing? Same as always. That bad. Shows the history those characters have together and how they're always in trouble. And then, you know, just that wry sense of humor. You're going to die here. You know that? Convenient. I, I love it. Now we find out if that code is worth the price we paid. It'll work. It'll work. Ooh. Vader's on that ship. Now, don't get jittery, Luke. There are a lot of command ships. Mm. Keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. That's another one of my favorite exchanges from Return of the Jedi. You know, Luke's starting to freak out because he feel he senses Vader on the ship and he shouldn't have come because he's going to endanger everybody. And Han doesn't really know what to do with that information. The Jedi were real. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. The crazy thing is... It's true. The Force, the Jedi... All of it. It's all true. And then, of course... Years later, Han, the guy who says hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, is all in on the Force. Pretty amazing turnaround for a guy who didn't believe in any of that beforehand. But I, I would imagine after several years of seeing how Luke handles himself and the different amazing things that Luke can do, you might change your mind a little bit. The flooding tunnel's over that ridge. We'll get in that way. What was your job when you were based here? Sanitation. Sanitation? <laughs> Then how do you know how to disable the shields? I don't. I'm just here to get Ray. People are counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Oh, really? You're cold? I have a t-shirt that says, That's not how the Force works. Just, it just guaranteed laugh. Every time my wife and I watch The Force Awakens, that's probably our favorite exchange in that movie with the, the weight of the Resistance is on their shoulders, but Han has just some time to be Han. And, and that's what's fun to me about The Force Awakens. I did not realize going to that movie how big of a role that Han Solo was going to play in that story. He was in it quite a bit, and it was a real treat, and he got a fitting send-off. There was so much high-quality Han Solo in that movie. You know, from Chewie We're Home to I Used to Be Han Solo, and I didn't expect so much Han in that movie that he was, you know, one of the central characters. I will apologize, this Kessel Run is actually going to go 13 parsecs because there's one more little clip I want to play from Han. One of my favorite moments in Star Wars. Not really a quote, but you'll get the gist. I, 
I just love that because he, he just becomes this screaming, unhinged, wild man and then chases after these stormtroopers, and then he hits a dead end, and then he's after running in the other direction. It's just classic Han Solo stuff. So yeah, you can say I'm looking forward to Solo a lot more than I was initially. The Super Bowl ad didn't give us much about the movie. I was concerned when we didn't see a lot of the young Han Solo in the promotional materials, the early stuff, but as more footage has been released, my excitement has grown a lot, and I am very excited to see what we've got going on on May 25th when it opens in theaters nationwide and I get my chance to see it at the AMC on Indie South Side. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, or drop me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>